Good morning, church. Uh, I just want to thank you for uh, joining in with us online, and um, I just pray that eventually you'll be able to come back and, and be a part of our service here live. But until then, I pray that you'll continue to not only be a part of our online campus, but really encourage others to, uh, to watch and to be a part as well. If you're a guest and you haven't connected with us, I'd encourage you to to click on that connect link, and uh, I would like, to, I'd love to be able to contact you and and uh, be able to send you a gift from the church. It's just great to have so many who have been watching online. It's such an encouragement to us as a church here at Westside. You know, we started uh, an amazing journey just a few weeks ago called One Big Story. You know, one of the things we discovered is that since the Garden of Eden, since Adam and Eve, man, we all have an earthly dilemma that's called sin. And that dilemma requires a heavenly solution. Last week, we discovered that after the flood, God continued to work upstream to provide hope as he began to put into place the things that were necessary to build the nation of Israel a nation from which the Messiah would one day be born. And the interesting thing is, is that the couple he chose to begin the process was an elderly couple by the name of Abram and Sarai, or as you probably know them uh, as Abraham and Sarah. So like we did last week, as we continue to look at the story of Abram and Sarai, I want to give you a few more takeaways that can help us to see just how God is working his upper story through our lower one. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I thank you again for this day. Just thank you for uh, this holiday weekend that we are all sharing in. Father, I pray that we'll never forget the price that was paid for our independence and the price of freedom is always, always blood. And Father, we are also very thankful for the price that you paid that we might be set free from sin. And it cost the blood of your son. Now, help us never to forget, Lord. Now, be with us this morning. And Father, we just pray that you open our hearts and minds. Help us to be receptive. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Back in the... Um, mid-90s, Lucy and I and the boys, uh, we took an amazing road trip with our, actually it was our next door neighbors, Bill and Jane. Bill was a vital part of my worship team there, and, and so was Jane, and we were just really close, really good friends. And so we set out on a road trip to go to Niagara Falls. Now, where we lived in northeast Indiana, the most direct route and probably the fastest route was just to go across, I think it was Interstate 80, and we could almost really take that probably all the way. But, and I won't say it was just the ladies, but probably it was, they decided that it would be a lot better to take a detour and to take what they considered maybe to be even a shortcut through the lower part of Canada. Now, let me tell you, it was no shortcut. In fact, it took a lot longer, and there were some crazy things that happened. But we eventually got to Niagara Falls, but it definitely was not a shortcut. Now, 
The reason I share that is because as we are going to discover today, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarai's faith takes a detour. I mean, they take what they think is a shortcut to the promised child instead of putting their faith in God to continue to provide the right direction and to provide that promised child. Now, as I think about how we uh, in our lives demonstrate faith, did you know that there are some people who, and maybe you're one of them, I don't know, but they feel safer being in a car than they do flying in an airplane. I mean, they just are really scared to get in that plane. I mean, after all, think about it. You're in this big tube flying through the air at 600 miles an hour, you know, at 30,000 feet. A lot could happen. You got your, have to put your trust in a pilot that you don't know. And a lot of people just, they have that fear of flying, so they would just rather drive. They would rather be in control. They would rather be able to see what's right in front of them and to be able to dictate how that trip or how that, you know, whatever is, is going to go. I even heard about a businessman who actually drives coast to coast instead of getting in a plane and flying there. You know, one of the things that I discovered is that the statistics show us that it's seven times safer to fly than it is to drive. And yet, in spite of these statistics, there are still those who just have that fear. They have trouble placing their faith in that plane. Now, I say all that for this reason. Because there's a parallel between how we display faith in our everyday life and how we respond to the will of God. You see, sometimes trusting God with the unknown, it just feels scary, right? I mean, maybe even a little bit unsafe. So for a lot of us, we would rather live our lives acting on things that we can see and acting on things that we have control of. And what we fail to realize is the safest way to navigate life is to live a life of faith, trusting him to lead and trusting him to direct our paths. I don't know if you remember the old phrase, but probably most people do. It goes like this, God helps those who help themselves. I'm sure you've all heard that, right? God helps those who help themselves, and it sounds pretty good. Now, have you ever wondered where that's at in the Bible? I mean, have you ever tried to look it up or find it? I mean, after all, it's a great saying. So it must be in there somewhere, right? Let me show you. So if you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip over to the book of First Opinions. You're going, what? I don't think that's in the Bible. You're right, it's not. Because that phrase is not in the Bible. It was actually said by Ben Franklin. But the problem is we want it to be in this book, don't we? I mean, we want it to be here. Because that's kind of how we live our lives. We have the mistaken idea that if we go ahead and put the gears in motion, if we take what we think is a great shortcut and we start moving forward with what we believe the truth to be, then we rationalize that God will see our enthusiasm and he will catch up with us and then he will bless what we 
have put in the, into motion. Let me tell you, Abr- Abram and Sarai are a prime example of two people who did just that. They tried to help God out in fulfilling his promise. The problem was in their minds, God just wasn't moving fast enough. He wasn't moving fast enough. You see, they had been living now in Cana, Canaan for about 10 years, and they still had no kids. And Abram is 85 years old, and Sarai is 75 years old. And so Sarai comes up with a plan where Abram will be able to experience what she thinks will be the promise of God before it's too late. You know what she does? She decides to have her husband, Abram, sleep with her Egyptian servant, Hagar. And guess what? Abraham offers no objection to this shortcut. At this point, their faith is in what they can see. And so it's not long before Hagar gets pregnant and she has a son by the name of Ishmael. Now, this was not God's plan for building his great nation. This was not the son that God would bless the earth through. So in Genesis chapter 16, in verse 12, look what it says. This son of yours, he's referring to Ishmael, this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. You see, Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations. And even now, roughly 4,000 years later, we still see this conflict and this tension between the Arab nations and the Jewish nations. Now, now that brings me to our first takeaway this morning, and it's simply this. When God's timing is different than ours, he doesn't need us getting ahead of him. He needs us to wait. Did you get that? When God's timing is different than ours, he doesn't need us getting ahead of him. He needs us to wait on him. You see, Sarah, I questioned God's timing. She began to think that maybe God needed a little help. I mean, after all, they'd been waiting now 11 years and still no child. The truth is, it's hard to wait on God, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to wait. I mean, in our society today, we just like things to be fast. We like fast food. We like to live in the fast lane. We want instant downloads, and we want overnight delivery. You see, in the flesh, we get really anxious when we have to wait. And if we don't see or we don't experience God moving, here's what happens. We have a tendency just to push forward and to try to make it happen apart from God. And unfortunately, when we do that, what we produce is something of the flesh, not of the spirit. Did you get that? Because you need to write that down. When we get ahead of God, when we try to push forward 
apart from him, what we produce is something of the flesh. It is not of the spirit. Here's what we tend to forget. Sometimes it's in the waiting that God does his best work in and through us. Did you get that? It's in the waiting that God does his best work in us. I love this quote by a guy by the name of Richard Hendricks. He once said, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality that most of us will ever encounter. Wow, I like that. In the Bible, Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. Let me ask you, do you need some fresh strength today? Because I know I do. Those who wait upon God get fresh, fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. And they walk and don't lag behind. Here's what we can never forget. Biblical faith believes that God will do what he said he would do whenever he decides to do it. And unless he specifically asks, he doesn't need your help in accomplishing his purpose. So don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of him. Continue to wait. Continue to trust. Continue to have faith in what he's doing after all. He's always working upstream to accomplish his will and to keep his promises. Now, as we come into chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, our story jumps a few years. Abram now is 99. Sarai is 89. And they still have no kids between them, but get this, they are raising Abram's son, Ishmael, and he is now 13 years old. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Abram's 99, Sarai is 89, and they're raising a teenager. Wow. You think you've got it bad? <laughs> I'm sure they struggled. And so God comes and he encourages and he renews the promise he's made to Abram. So in chapter 17, starting in verse 1, this is what we read. I love this. He says, when, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now let's stop here for a moment. The term El Shaddai is mentioned in the Bible roughly 36 times. But do you know the book that is used the most in? Anybody know what it is? It's the book of Job. The book of Job uses that term, El Shaddai, more than any other book. And the term means God Almighty, the Mighty One. And I love this definition, the All-Sufficient One. You see, sometimes it was used to describe mountains or hills as they were rising up out of the earth. And when people would look out and they would see these mountains or see these hills in the horizon, in their minds they're thinking the earth is flexing its muscles. So God is reinforcing to Abraham 
Abram, that he is the all-sufficient one. He is the strong and powerful one. And he's the one who can do everything that Abram can't do. Now, why does God introduce himself like this here in verse 1? Well, maybe it's because Abram's 99 years old. And if anyone is feeling weak, if anyone is feeling insufficient, it's Abram. And so God encourages Abram with the truth of who he is. Let me ask you, as you think about your life today, do you need that truth spoken into you? The truth of who God really is. The fact that he is El Shaddai, the almighty, the all-sufficient one who just wants you to trust and rely on his strength instead of yours. Now let's go on as we continue to read. Look what it says next. It says, he, he says, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. We're going to stop here for a moment too. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Now, the NIV puts it this way. It says, walk faithfully and live blameless. Now, what does that phrase mean? Well, it means to walk with the realization that every step you take is taken before and in the very presence of God. Every step you take, when you are walking with God, it's, it's as if God is right there with you and you are walking side by side with him. Now, the word blameless here is not referring to living without sin, but it's referring to living a life of loyalty to God and living a life of integrity before him. And I think that God probably told Abraham, Abram this because of his past, because of where he has come to, to this point. I mean, you got to remember, Abram came out of, a, out of a family that worshiped pagan gods. And then just in the last 13 years, guess what? He slept with Sarai's servant, Hagar, and they had a son. And so God says, I want you to walk now with me. I want you to walk with a life of integrity before me. Here's the cool thing. God is basically saying, even though your past has been sketchy, and even though your faith has been weak, you can still start over, and you can still start a new walk with me today. How awesome is that? And that brings me to my next takeaway, and it's simply this. No matter what your age may be, no matter what your past might look like, you can still start a new walk with God today. It can begin right now, today. No matter what you think your past has been, no matter what you think God may be judging you on, you can start that new walk with him today. You see, in Abram's case, God was about to renew his covenant, and he was about to renew his promise with Abram. And if that was going to, to happen, if that was going to come about, then he had to realize that he had to renew his walk with God. 
Let's keep reading. It goes on to say, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this point, and I love this phrase, Abram fell face down on the ground. Abram fell face down on the ground. He didn't pass out. He just fell face down on the ground. Here's the thing. Understanding and receiving the promises of God begins when we get rid of pride and arrogance and our self-sufficient attitudes and we replace them with a spirit of humility. When Abraham fell face down before God, it was an act of humility. He was simply surrendering to who God was. And he was setting aside everything else so that he could begin to receive the promise of God. Let's keep reading. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. Now, let's stop here. So what's the significance of this name change? Well, Abram meant exalted father. That's what it meant, exalted father. Now, think about that for a moment. How embarrassing must it have been for Abram to have a name that meant exalted father when for 85 years he had no kids. I mean, he had no kids. And now at least he has one son, even if it's not the promised child. But now God is changing his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude, not one, but of a multitude. So what's God doing? I mean, The promised child is not even conceived yet. How can he be the father of a multitude? I mean, why wouldn't God just wait until Isaac was born to change Abram's name? name? Well, here's what I believe. This is my third takeaway. God will often declare his purpose before his promise becomes a reality. Did you get that? God will often declare his purpose before his promise becomes a reality. And why does he do that? Well, I believe he does that in order to stretch us, to stretch our faith so that we will trust him for the long haul. In other words, he wants to know, do you believe me, believe me enough to trust me for what hasn't happened yet? Do you believe me? Do you believe me enough to just simply trust me for what hasn't happened yet? Will you believe me long enough so that when the time is right, I can merge your lower story with my upper story so that you will begin to realize my promise and my purpose? And then starting in verse 15 of chapter 17, God also changes Sarai's name. Look what it says. Then God said to Abram, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. 
Now, I capitalize from her because I want you to understand what God is saying. The promised child will come from both of you. She will be the mother. You will be the father. This child will come from her. Not a servant, not anybody else, but her. Now, let me tell you, this was a great name change for Sarai. You want to know why? Because Sarai meant domineering and contentious. That's what her name meant. But Sarah, Sarah meant princess. Princess. And so now through Abraham and Sarah, God's covenant and God's promise would now be realized. Now let's, let's reflect and we'll close. So as we think about their story and what we've been able to see today, today let me ask you, which, which takeaway do you struggle the most with? Which takeaway kind of is the hardest for you to really to put into practice? Is it the waiting? I mean, do you, do you struggle with just waiting on God? And so because you struggle, you get ahead of him. You begin to put things into, in, in, into place. You begin to move forward, taking those shortcuts, doing the things that you would do rather than to just trust in God. Is it the waiting? Maybe, maybe it's starting that new walk with God. Maybe that's something you know you need to do today is to just start over and to have that new walk with him. But you're, you're either afraid or you just feel like you, you've just done so much in, in your past that God's really not going to accept you. Understand, you can start anew today. You'll just trust him and put your faith in him. Begin to walk before him. Or is it trusting him for the long haul? Just doing those things that show that you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, you may not see it right away, and you may not experience that promise that God has been speaking into your heart next week or next month, but you're willing to hang in there with God because you trust him and your faith is in, in him and not in what you can do. So I don't know where you're at. But I do know this, if there's anything you need today, I want you to hit that connect link. And I want you to reach out and just put your thoughts down in that response box and, and I'll contact you and we can talk and we can get together and we can pray for you. Because the most important thing you can do today is to start your walk with your father. Pray with me. Lord, I just thank you for all you do. I thank you for what you have done in my life. But most importantly, God, I thank you for what you're doing in and through my life. Help me to walk ever before you. To walk in loyalty with integrity as I move forward. And God, help us today to learn how to wait. To learn how to be patient with you knowing that you were constantly working upstream. And even though we can't see it, we know it's going to happen because you have promised it. And so just be with us, Lord. We just love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.